Well, welcome to Veritas. Good to see you all. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, if you've been around my house, you would notice that it started to look like a rock quarry. And by that, I mean that um, you can't walk around my house right now, literally outside and inside, without finding rocks everywhere. So at first, I, I found them in my backyard. I'm out mowing, and, and they're rocks, and, and that's kind of normal. I didn't really think much of it. But uh, as time went by, I started finding them inside, too, on my countertops, on the floors, in the, the couch cushions, in the kitchen cabinets, you name it. There were little tiny rocks all over my house. I finally decided to ask my five-year-old daughter if she had any idea why there were rocks all over. I had a sneaking suspicion. And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, those rocks are my treasures. Oh, your treasures. Good. And so I said, okay, uh, but, but Lily, why do you put your treasures all over the house? <laughs> and with the biggest smile on her face, she, she says, well, Daddy, because when I find sparkly treasure, it makes me so happy. And I promptly Jesus juked her and said, I'm going to make that a sermon illustration. See, as funny as it sounds, I've actually been thinking a lot about that comment. When I find sparkly treasure, it makes me happy. Looking for treasure isn't something that we just do as kids. It's something that every single one of us, it's, we're, we're doing right now. We might not call it that, but the reality is, is we're all searching for some kind of treasure, some kind of treasure in life. And that treasure, it's, it's different for different people. We're searching for different things. For some of us, that treasure we're looking for is a relationship. For others of us, it's a place to fit in, maybe a place to be known. Some of us in here treasure respect, power, maybe success, maybe a job we've always wanted, fame. We treasure comfort. We treasure adventure. We treasure sexuality. See, different people search for treasure in different places. A news headline caught my attention the other day. It's this, Starbucks junkies get coffee in Superstorm. That'll, that'll catch your eye. Uh, some people evidently treasure Starbucks coffee. Here's the story. When I ever see something like that, I, I just want to share it. Um, a few years ago, Superstorm Sandy hits the northeast coast, right? You guys probably remember that. Uh, as the story goes, apparently some people decided that they were going to fight through high winds, dangerous rain, and dire warnings just to make it to this one rogue Starbucks that had managed to stay open near Times Square. One woman, I can't make this up, Bethany Owens, she walked 10 blocks with her one-year-old daughter just to get her coffee. This is, this is what she said. She said, I saw that they were open on Facebook. It was scary not having Starbucks. No, what was scary is that comment. Chris Hernandez, he did the same. He added, I didn't know they were all going to close. I started panicking. There's nothing else that I would have gone out for, though. This makes my day complete. Nothing stops a coffee junkie, I guess. Not even a superstorm. Jokes aside, we're all searching for treasure, right? We're all searching for some kind of treasure. The Emmys were on the other night. Uh, my wife and I were watching. I don't necessarily care about them, but for whatever reason, we were watching them, and it reminded me of something that I had seen uh, several years ago from Kathy Griffin. Kathy, Kathy Griffin, if you don't know who she is, she's an actress, she's a stand-up comedian, 
2007, 2008, she won an Emmy for her reality show, Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List. Um, I want to watch a short clip of what she said during her speech. I'm going to warn you up front. This is the worst quality video you've ever seen in your entire life. I searched the internet forever. Apparently, they didn't have HD seven years ago. Uh, but here's what I want. Don't, don't pay so much attention to the fuzzy blub that you can't really tell what it is. Listen to what she's saying and try to catch what her treasure is. All right, let's take, let's take a look. A lot of people come up here and they thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. <laughs> he didn't help me a bit. If it was up to him, Caesar Milan would be up here with that damn dog. <laughs> so all I can say is, suck it, Jesus. This award is my God now. Ooh. Is that good? She's a comedian, so to be uh, entirely fair, I have no idea how serious she was in that moment. Uh, to be honest, it seemed a little intentionally over the top to me. Uh, but there's always a hint of truth in sarcasm, isn't there? Maybe it was a joke, but, but maybe it wasn't. Either way, it's a striking comment, isn't it? This is what she says. She said, this award is my God now. Maybe we could put it differently. We could say, this award is my treasure. Why? Well, maybe because that Emmy wasn't just an award. It wasn't just a metal object for her to hold in her hands. Maybe that Emmy was something that substantiated who she was. It validated her show, her career, her choices, her life. See, Kathy Griffin, I don't think she's much different than us. Maybe aside from the suck it Jesus comment. But in all seriousness, I, I say that. I, I say that she's not much different than us because we too search for things that substantiate who we are, don't we? We search for things that, that validate our choices. We search for things that, that validate how we choose to spend our time. We search for things that validate how we live our life all searching for some kind of treasure. But here's the big question. Here's the question that I want to wrestle with tonight. Is that treasure, whatever it is that you're searching for, is that treasure worth more than Jesus? Is it worth more than Jesus? Tonight we're finishing uh, the sermon series that we've been doing over the last several weeks called A Bigger, Better Story. And we're going to finish the series by looking at a short story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Matthew. I say it's short. It's, it's literally one verse, but it's one verse that has had a significant impact on my life, and it's, it's a verse that I hope has an impact on you tonight as well. Let's pick up in Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So, so Jesus tells us that, that a man happens to find treasure buried in a field. Now maybe you're thinking, all right, come on, Jesus. A man on a treasure hunt finds treasure in a field? Like, seriously? It's actually not that unlikely. You see, back then, in Jesus' day, it wasn't uncommon to bury treasure. And that's because banks didn't exist, safes didn't exist. People could store their money in their homes. But remember, this was, this was what the area of Palestine, which is 
one of the most fought over places in the world even then. And so homes were constantly being ravaged by armies and war. And so what people would do is instead of hiding their valuables, their treasure inside of their homes, they would, they would bury whatever they could and they would hope that, that they would survive whatever was coming their way. And of course, sometimes they did, but, but sometimes they didn't. And if they didn't, their valuables, whatever it was that they buried, it stayed underground until someone eventually found them. So the story that Jesus is talking about in front of all of these people, it's not really that unlikely. But we have to ask, what is he actually talking about? See, Jesus isn't giving us clues about finding financial wealth. He's not talking about financial treasure. No, Jesus is talking about something far different. Jesus is talking about spiritual treasure. He's talking about treasure that's found in himself. You see, the interesting thing about Jesus, the longer you get to know Jesus, is that he had the audacity to claim that he's the far better treasure that every single one of us is searching for, whether or not we realize it. Whether or not we realize it, Jesus has the audacity to claim that he's the far better treasure that we're all searching for. And so for the rest of our time tonight, I want to look at three things that Jesus wants us to know. Three things that Jesus wants to teach us about this treasure. First is this. Not everyone, not everyone will recognize what the treasure is worth. You see, some people just aren't going to see the value in the treasure. That guy that bought that field. Imagine for a second what his friends must have thought. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'll just sell my stuff. Selling everything? Why? Well, so I can buy that field over there. What? Like, of course that would sound silly. It, it wouldn't make any sense. Why on earth would this guy sell everything he had just to buy a field? It would seem crazy. My guess is we'd feel the same way. It'd, it'd be like if you came home from class one day, and, or your friends came home from class one day, and they saw you just carrying all of your stuff out to the curb. And you're standing there, and you've got your clothes, and your phone, and your computer, and your books, and your car. Even the house, or the dorm, or the residence hall that you live in, everything has a for sale sign on it. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, i got to sell this all so I can buy that field over there. What? It would seem so stupid, so foolish. People wouldn't get it. But you see, the guy in Jesus' story knew something that his friends didn't know. He saw something that they didn't see. When you read the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, it's clear not everybody could see Jesus for who he really was. Take a look at Matthew 16, verses 13 and 14. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what do people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is just a title that Jesus liked to use for himself. And they say, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some people thought that Jesus was a guy named John the Baptist. Other people thought that, that he was a prophet. Other people throughout the New Testament think that Jesus is just a carpenter. He's just Joseph and Mary's son. Some people thought Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Some people thought that Jesus was a liar and a fake. See, Jesus knows that not everyone would see him for who he really was. 
And in hearing his friends, the disciples, their responses, he, he, he asked them a follow-up. And this is what he says in the next verse. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Just after this, Peter bursts out and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the King. Jesus' question, though, that's a question that you and I, that we all have to face still today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Hear me say this, how you answer that question. That question is the most important question any of us will ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? And how we answer that question is going to have an incredibly significant impact on our lives. Because here's the deal. If Jesus is your treasure, if Jesus really is your treasure, your life might not always make sense to the people around you. It won't always make sense because they won't always recognize what the treasure is worth. I've shared this, I, I think, before up here, or maybe at least with a lot of you individually. When I graduated from Mizzou, I graduated uh, with a civil engineering degree. Um, and I was fortunate enough, my last semester in college, I had a few different job offers, um, you know, engineering job offers tend to pay really well. I was thankful for that. But about six weeks before I graduated, I said I want to do something completely different with my life, something I had never thought about until that semester. I decided I want to come on staff with Veritas. I wanted to do ministry vocationally. But coming on staff with Veritas meant that I had to say no to those engineering jobs, and it also meant that I had to say no to that really nice salary. And it also meant that instead of getting paid a lot, I had to raise my salary because our staff team, we all raise our support. I remember those first few conversations with my parents. I love them a lot. I should say that. But, but let's just say this. Things didn't go very well. Now, being a parent myself of three kids, I, I get it. They were trying to protect me. They thought what they were saying, what they were doing was best. But, but in that moment, when I told them that I wanted to come on staff with a church, I mean, they thought I was wasting my life. They thought that I was throwing away my college education, that I was ruining everything that I had worked hard for. They thought that I was going to go out onto the streets and literally start begging people for money because I needed a paycheck. Going on staff with the church literally just did not make sense to them. When Jesus is your treasure, your life won't always make sense to the people around you. Your classmates, they're not going to understand why you don't cheat on your homework, why you don't cheat on your exams. Your peers won't understand why you don't drink too much or why you don't drink underage. Your friends won't get why you won't hook up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or why you won't watch certain movies, certain shows. Your roommates might not get why you wake up early in the morning just to make sure you have time to read your Bible, to pray. Your family might not understand why you would come home back to Columbia early on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning just so you can go to church. People won't understand why you turn down higher paying jobs for lesser paying jobs because it's more important for you to live in a city that has a great church and a great community of people to live life with. People won't understand why you choose to spend your time the way you do, why you spend your time serving the way that you serve. 
I went around the crossing asking various ministries. Just, I was just curious, just within Veritas, how many Veritas students serve in your various ministry at the crossing? Over 200 of you in here serve just at the crossing alone. That's not including all the various ministries and organizations throughout Columbia. I mean, that's incredible. But not everybody is going to understand why a college student would care about serving other people. Right? This is the time for us, right? Not other people. See, if, if Jesus is your treasure, I'm going to say it again, your life might not always make sense to the people around you because they're not going to recognize what the treasure is worth. They won't see its value. And the reality is, at some point, every single one of us has to face and answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? Everybody in here is going to have to decide whether, you, whether or not you want to follow Jesus or whether you want the treasure that our culture offers you. The second thing that Jesus wants to teach us tonight is this, that treasure is often found in ordinary places. It's often found in ordinary places. Most of you probably know the name Warren Buffett. He's a CEO, that's a photo of him, CEO and chairman of Berkshire Hathaway. Some consider him one of the uh, most successful inventors in the world. I checked as of August, his net worth was $77 billion with a B dollars. But he hasn't always been wealthy. He tells a story about when he was just getting started. He didn't really have a job. He was just trying to do a little investing here and there, trying to figure out what it was like. He, he, he lived on a really average street in Omaha, drove kind of a crappy old beat-up car, didn't have an office because he didn't have a job, and so spent most of the day at home all day, every day. He had some neighbors across the street he talks about. He, did, he didn't know them super well, but he knew that they had five kids, and, and he'd always look at those five kids and the parents, and I don't, I don't know what they did, but he'd always wonder, like, man, how are they going to get to college and so one day, Buffett says, he goes over across the street, knocks on the door, he starts talking to the dad, and he says, hey, I have an idea. I've been, I'm, I'm kind of getting into this investing thing. How about you do this? How about you give me $10,000, and I'll invest it, and we'll get those kids of yours to college. The neighbor looks at him. He's like, what? You're crazy. $10,000, you don't have a job. You drive a crappy car. You stay at home all day every day. I'm not giving you $10,000. No way. Several years later, Buffett is in an interview with some friends and this neighbor, too, and, and they're talking about this story, and they say, okay, just for kicks, just for the heck of it, if you had given him $10,000 that day and he had invested it, how much would it be worth right now? $450 million. $450 million. That's a $450 million mistake. Why? Why didn't the neighbor give him the money? Because Buffett didn't look impressive. He didn't drive a nice car. He didn't have a big house. He didn't have a real job. He didn't have money. He didn't have power. He didn't have status. He didn't have a nice suit. He's just an ordinary guy. You don't give ordinary guys $10,000 to let them invest so that they can send all five of your kids to school. How often do you think people in, the, in that story that Jesus told walked by that field? Back and forth. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year 
after year, back and forth, back and forth. Yep, there it is again. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that beneath the soil, beneath the field, beneath all of the ordinariness was something of incredible value, life-changing value. You see, our culture it's so often it just looks on the surface of things for significance and worth. We're taught to, to want to see something impressive. We're taught to want to see cutting edge, to see intellect and wit, to see good looking. We want confidence. We want to see status and connections. But Jesus tells us that if we're not careful, that if we continue to stay fixated on, on these externals, on these superficialities on the surface of things, we're going to miss the treasure. We're going to miss the treasure. We're searching in the wrong place because Jesus hides his treasure in ordinary places. In particular, it's hidden in ordinary people. Paul is one of the writers of the New Testament. He writes to uh, some Christians in the Corinthian church, and, and, and this is what he says in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, our culture focuses on the surface. But Jesus reminds us something really, really important. If you're looking for treasure according to the values of the world, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss Jesus' treasure. That's because Jesus' treasure is often found, and he says, in people who are not very wise, not very influential, not noble. In human terms, they're not very successful at all. Now, that's not to say if you're successful, that if you're influential, that that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. Don't hear me say that. Rather, Jesus is reminding us that's so easy to get caught up on the surface of things, that we miss Jesus below the ordinary. We miss the real treasure. Jesus says he also hides his treasure in an ordinary message. What does that mean? What does it mean, an ordinary message? This is what I mean. The, the, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, for all of its complexities and nuances, it's actually quite simple. God created the world and everything in it good, but something went wrong. Humanity rebelled. Sin enters into the world. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, right? But Jesus enters the story. He lives a perfect life, and he dies a death on a cross he didn't deserve, and he rose from the grave to rescue his people from the consequence of their rebellion. And he tells us that one day he's coming back to make everything sad come untrue. Put your faith in Jesus, and by grace, he rescues you. That's it. That, that's the heart of it, anyway. It's simple. People sometimes miss it. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, many people hear the gospel and they think, oh, it can't be that easy. 
No way, no way Jesus can possibly be that accessible. Because we think it's too good to be true, we miss it. Just like the people walking by that field every day, every week, every month, every year. Are you missing Jesus? Are you missing the real treasure? Jesus hides his treasure in ordinary people. He hides it in an ordinary message. He also hides his treasure in an ordinary savior and in himself. See, Jesus came as the most ordinary of people. Centuries before he was born, the prophet Isaiah, he says this about Jesus in Isaiah 53, verse 2. He says, he had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, outwardly, Jesus was an unimpressive person. He wasn't particularly attractive. He, there wasn't anything special about his appearance. The Gospel of Luke tells us that, that Jesus was born into a poor family. It tells us about uh, the, the offering that his parents bring when, when Jesus is being circumcised. They, they were only able to bring two pigeons. Only the poorest of people made that kind of offering. Jesus' friends, the people that he lived with, spent his time with, they were losers. They were jerks. They weren't particularly great people. And of course, Jesus died on a cross, right? That was, that was the punishment reserved for the most common of criminals. See, here's the point. In one sense, Jesus was profoundly ordinary. And he buries his treasure under a field of ordinariness. And so he's saying to us, don't be like everybody else walking by, back and forth, day after day. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss me. You're going to miss the real treasure. So Jesus teaches us from this, this story in Matthew, the story about a man and a field and a treasure. He says, not everyone's going to recognize the value of the treasure. Not everyone, or the treasure is hidden in ordinary places. And lastly, Jesus' treasure is worth the cost. It's worth the cost. See, Jesus tells us that the man in this story, he's, he's willing to, to do what? He's willing to sell everything he has to get that treasure. Everything he has to get that treasure. And not only is he willing, Jesus tells us that he does it with joy. He does it joyfully. Why? How could he possibly be joyful about having to sell everything he had, getting rid of all that he had? How could that possibly bring him joy? Because that man knew that the treasure buried in that field was worth far more than anything that he has. It was worth far more than anything he could possibly imagine. That man was getting a far better deal. I think part of why it's hard for us to follow Jesus, if I'm completely honest, it's true for me even, is because we aren't sure that it's worth the cost. We aren't sure that it's worth the cost to follow Jesus. We aren't sure that what we're going to get out of following him is worth what it takes for us to invest our lives in following him. According to Jesus, though, it absolutely is. Who do you say that he is? 
heard a story a few months ago, and I, and I haven't stopped thinking about it, so I'm going I'm to share it here. Kristen Welch, I don't know her. She's an author and a blogger. And about seven years ago, she had a chance to, to visit one of the largest slums in Kenya. I think there's a photo of it. Um, nearly 800,000 people live, 800,000 people live in roughly two square miles. As you read the description of, of her trip, of what it was like, to be frank, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's awful. And at the end of her article, she summarizes it by saying, today I, I went to hell. This place is a hellhole. While she was there, she, she met an 18-year-old young man named Vincent. Vincent was an orphan. He didn't have a mom. He didn't have a dad. He, he lost both of them when he was eight years old. And ever since, so for the past decade, for the past 10 years, he had to raise his younger brother in this slum all by himself. Kristen Welch describing her encounter with Vincent. This, this is what she says. She says, I, I will never forget standing in Vincent's home, which was the size of my master closet. Water dripped on my head in the dark room as he lit a candle and explained how he walked an hour to school each way and cared for his little brother because both of his parents were dead. And as he told us about his life, he smiled from ear to ear with joy. How can you be so happy, I asked, as I looked around at all that he didn't have. He looked at her and confidently answered, I have Jesus. He's enough. He's enough. He's worth it. As the music team comes up, let me, let me, let me end here. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus enough for you? I mean, if you're really, really honest with yourself, is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Let me ask it a different way. What's your treasure? What treasure in life are you searching for? Is that treasure worth more than Jesus? Is it worth more than Jesus? You see, Warren Buffett's neighbor, remember that story? Warren Buffett's neighbor made a $450 million mistake because he didn't want to invest $10,000. See, the reality is, is you and I are in danger of making a far greater mistake if we're searching for a treasure anywhere other than in Jesus. Amen. Amen.